like the boogeyman's going to come through while I'm preaching or something. I don't know. But, um, huh? Oh, I thought somebody said. All right. Um, but uh, pray for the Tillies. Pray for all our missionaries as we get the opportunity uh, to be able to uh, minister uh, to them. And um, it's just good to know uh, what to pray for specifically uh, about them and, uh, and for them. And so uh, continue to uh, remember them in their ministry uh, to the Lord in prayer. John chapter 11 tonight. John chapter number 11 tonight. I just want to um, kind of uh, wrap up um, my thoughts from this morning uh, and just give you, um, we're talking about uh, the message of Bethany. So we're going to have probably, I don't know, four, four or five Sundays um, with different messages, uh, the different things, events that happened in Bethany, uh, Bethany was a um, uh, a very, uh, if you will, sacred place for for Jesus because he often found rest there. Uh, he was uh, obviously friends with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus uh, and their family there in Bethany, and so um, so often you know you hear of. Uh, Bethlehem and Nazareth and Jerusalem, and you hear of some of these bigger cities, but you don't hear much about Bethany and uh, just a small town uh, there uh, to um, to the east of Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem, uh, between uh, Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. And often, when Jesus would travel, and certainly if he came anywhere near Judea. Uh, he would stop in Bethany and uh, find rest. Now, sometimes we have to understand and we have to remember that God doesn't tell us everything, clearly, right? I mean, if God logged down everything that ever happened, the world couldn't contain the books, right? So, uh, so we don't know how many times he went to Bethany, but we know he went enough um, that uh, he was uh, uh, ended up being close to this family there uh, in Bethany. And we learned this morning here out of John chapter number 11, Isaiah chapter 55, that um, uh, one of the things about God is that um, his ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. And um, God does things different. I mean, let's, let's, just, let's just face it. Uh, God doesn't do things the way you think he should do them. He doesn't do things uh, the way the world thinks he should do them. Uh, he speaks to men through angels and, and through animals and through bushes and, and, and uses fish to pay taxes and to transport people and, I mean, and, and, and confound the multitudes uh, as he uh, turned a little boy's lunch uh, into a feast that fed 5,000 plus uh, people. And so... God does things differently uh, than, um, than we do them and differently than... Have you, have you ever read through a story in the Bible and you're reading through and you're thinking to yourself, huh, I wonder why God did it that way? Uh, or maybe something in your own life and you say, huh, I wonder why God is doing this. Or maybe you're looking or observing somebody else's life and you're saying, I wonder why God's doing that. Sometimes... Mind you, sometimes down the road, we look back and say, oh, 
That's why God was doing that. That's why God did it that way. Sometimes we never know. Sometimes, as Vance Havner said, sometimes God stamps across the li- our, our lives. We'll explain later. We may never know this side of heaven, why God did a certain thing or why he did it a certain way. But know this, uh, God does things without anybody else's permission. God doesn't have an angel committee meeting and ask the angels, hey, are we going to, you know, let's, let's see if we're going to. No, God doesn't need anybody's permission to do the things he does and to do them the way he does them. And so what is our job? As Christians, as believers, what is our job? Our job is to trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's, remember the song? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's our responsibility. That's our part. You, know, you ever wonder what your part is? Let me tell you what your part is. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what your financial state is, you, uh, your financial state you're in. Your part as a Christian is to trust and obey. Trusting and obeying go hand in hand, don't they? Because if you don't trust God, you're never going to obey Him. You're not going to obey Him. If you don't trust that God knows what He's doing, then you're not going to follow Him. If God says go this way and you don't trust His, his direction, you're not going to go that way. You're going to go your own way. And how many times have we done that, right? And got ourselves uh, lost or got ourselves uh, going down the wrong path uh, because we didn't trust God. So God's ways are higher than our ways, uh, Isaiah 55. Uh, talks about. Number two, we kind of touched on it this morning. Uh, the second thing is uh, God's time is not our time. God's time is not our time. John chapter 11 and verse number six, and when he had heard therefore that he was sick, this is Lazarus, he abode two days. So he hears Lazarus is sick. He hears the plea of Mary Martha. Please come, your friend, our brother, he's sick. What does Jesus do? He waits two more days. The Bible says he abode two more days. He stayed there two more days. Instead of making haste, instead of getting up and going straight back to Bethany, he waited two days. Why? Because God's timing and our timing aren't always the same thing. God's timing is always perfect. Now, we don't always see that with our physical eye, right? Sometimes we even miss it with our spiritual. But understand this, trust God and understand that God's timing is always the best timing. The only time things get messed up, listen to me, the only time things get messed up is when we get involved. When man gets involved. And man decides, mm, I don't like that. When God locks a door and we go get a crowbar, you know, that, that's, what, that's what man does. When God, when God opens the door and we say, well, here's a good Christianese. You ever speak Christianese? Probably do, don't even know it. God's got a door. The door is wide open. I mean, there it is, wide open. God says, walk ye in it. What do we say? Well, I think I'll pray about it. I'm not undermining prayer. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, prayer has become one of the biggest excuses 
for so many Christians today. God clearly says, walk through the door. So what should you do? Well, if you want to pray about it, then pray about it as you're walking through the door. Because God has opened the door. The steps of a good man, they are ordered by the Lord. Trust and obey. So go through the door. Stop using excuses why you can't do what God has called you to do. And stop using excuses why you're doing the things God tells you not to do. We are, listen, we are a people full of excuses. I mean, excuses, excuses. You ever heard that song? We hear them every day. I mean, the devil will provide them. He'll give them to you. If it'll keep you away from church, if it'll keep you off your knees, and if it'll keep you from being a good testimony, if it'll keep you from being a witness, I mean, there's excuses around every single corner. And you know what one of the best used excuses are? People. We use people to excuse us from doing what we should be doing. Well, I'm not going there because of, well, I'm not doing this because of, well, I'm not going to because of an excuse after excuse after excuse. Do you think, I mean, let's just think logically. We always should think biblically, but just let's think logically for just a second. Do you think that one day, when we pass from this life, biblically we know we're going to stand before God. Biblically we know we're going to have to give an answer. So do you think for one second that when we stand before God, God's going to listen to our excuses? Because your excuses and my excuses, the best of them will never hold water. Never hold water. Why? Because God says do it, do it. God says don't do it, don't do it. Shouldn't it be that black and white? Absolutely it should. It absolutely should be as biblical as yes, God said do it. No, God says don't do it. Now, are there gray areas? Are there things that maybe God has allowed you to do, but he doesn't allow other people to do? Sure, but listen to me. Those things are few and far between. Few and far between. I've got good friends. I mean... Good, good friends. Love them to death. Matter of fact, when I was in the military, they were there for me. We'd come in off of a, off of a cruise, and they'd be, they'd be standing out there at the jetties with their signs up, welcome, welcome home, you know, because I was far away from home. And um, they were there. They were always there for me. But I'm here to tell you, there's 10 children. They're all grown. Seven, eight of them are girls, and, I mean, and, I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. Every one of those girls would rather die than put a pair of pants on. Now, now a lot of you are looking at me like I'm thinking to myself, like, do what? <laughs> but that's just, they feel like, and you know, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny instead of saying, boy, you know, praise God that your standards are, you know, high. What do we do? Instead, we judge. Listen, we, what do we need to do? We need to sweep around our own porch, right? And praise God. Hey, if God's called you not to do that, that's great. But that doesn't mean my girls aren't going to wear pants. 
You know, now when we were around them and my kids were growing up, guaranteed out of respect for that family, my girls never wore a pair of pants around them, ever. My wife never wore a pair of pants around them, just just out of respect, respect for them. And uh, but I don't, I don't hold that conviction. I don't hold that standard. I shouldn't call it a conviction. I don't hold that standard in my life. So God calls us to different standards. I get that, but there are things that are universal. And God says it's right for you, then it's right for me, and it's right for everybody. And then sometimes God says it's wrong, and it's wrong for you, and it's wrong for me, and it's wrong for everybody. So what do we do? We trust and obey. God's timing is always better than our timing. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. And the scripture says, but God's ways, they are perfect. God's timing is perfect. I mean, he does everything well. He does everything right. And God never says, oops, God's time is not our time. Think about this. A couple things. Number one, here's a revelation. God doesn't answer to you. He doesn't answer to you. One day, when you die and you go to heaven... God is not going to stand before you. You are going to stand before God. We're not going to get up in heaven and say, okay, God, why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why, did, why, why could... So God doesn't answer to us. God, by the way, God answers to nobody because, because he's God. Uh, of who he is. And so God doesn't answer to us. David said this in Psalm 8 and verse 4, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Who in the world are we? Who are we that God would even think about us, let alone answer to us? God asks Job a series of questions. I just absolutely love this. And sometimes uh, I think to myself, uh, when I start asking questions and when I start wondering why God did such and such, I often think of this passage in Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38, verse number 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. And then Jesus, and then God says this, Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? You know what he was asking, Job? Who do you think you are? By the way, were you there when God said, let there be light? Can I tell you, these series of questions that God asked Job are known as rhetorical questions. They're not questions that God's waiting for an answer for. It's kind of like God goes down, Adam and Eve blow it. God goes down, they're hiding, and God says, Adam, where art thou? 
God didn't lose Adam, folks. He knew where Adam was. It's rhetorical. It's made to, to, to teach a lesson. This is, what, this is what God meant. Were you there when I laid the foundation? No. Were you there when I laid the chief cornerstone? No. It's so rhetorical, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't need an answer. You don't need the answer because obviously Job wasn't there. You weren't there. Can I tell you? Nobody was there because there was nothing there until God spoke into existence. What is God trying to say? Is God trying to rub things into our face? No. What God is trying to say is, listen, I was there. You weren't. Do you know when there's an investigation and somebody is trying to prosecute another person for a criminal action. The prosecuting attorney, let me tell you what the prosecuting attorney is looking for. He's not looking for hearsay. He's not looking for something that's been passed through the grapevine. He's looking for an eyewitness. He's looking for somebody that saw it. Somebody that was there. Can I tell you, there were no eyewitnesses. God created out of nothing the world that exists today. You weren't there. I wasn't there. The power doesn't lie with us. The power lies with God. And God's timing is always right. God's ways are always uh, always perfect. God doesn't answer to you. Number two, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. Beginning, Revelation 22 and 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. It may be four days late for you, but it's always right on time with God. We might not think that, we might think that it should be this timing or this should be this timing and God, I've got a deadline, but God doesn't work on your deadlines. God doesn't work on your timing. God works on his own timing. Colossians, Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter one. If you're familiar with, uh, with the book of Colossians, watch what she says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. The Bible says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know what I wrote next to that verse? Even time. Even time. Time exists because of God. All things were created by him and for him, and they all consist because of him. we got to understand this idea, this concept, you rule nothing. We rule nothing. It's God that, that, that is the ruler of time, and we've got to understand that God's time is not our time. Let me think, 
Let me give you the last thing. So God's ways are not our ways. God's time is not our time. John chapter number 11, God's results are not our results. God's results are not our results. John chapter 11, verse number 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And what did he do? Oh, he went and see all right. He went and he raised Lazarus from the dead. God's results are, are not our results. They, they're not always uh, the same. You know, isn't it amazing how God goes above and beyond whatever we can think? Isn't it awesome when God does the impossible? You see, there are so many things in the Bible that are impossible. I want you to understand mathematically and logically, three cannot be one and one cannot be three. It, it can't. So the next time somebody wants you to logically explain the Trinity, don't try. Because it can't logically be explained. It just can't. I want you to understand, logically speaking and worldly speaking, it is impossible. Listen to me. Let me use the word again. It is impossible for a virgin to conceive a child. It's impossible. In case you haven't tried it, you can go ahead and give it a shot sometime, but it's impossible. I don't care how light you are. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. I don't care what age you are. I don't care how light on your toes you are. If you get out of the boat and it's liquid water, you're sinking. Am I right? Is it impossible? It's, it's impossible. We talk about, we talk about um, well, well, Peter did it. But listen to me. All things are possible with God. You see, oh, Peter only walked on water because Jesus was there. A virgin only conceived because, because God made it so. I was in the military. Many of you were in the military. I've seen a lot of military actions. I've seen a lot that succeeded. I've seen some that failed. I tell you, we had a job. We were on a guided missile frigate, little tiny ship. We had one job. We had our aircraft carrier was called the USS Saratoga. She's a museum now, but she, she was our aircraft carrier. We had one job and one job only. That was to protect our mothership. That was our job. So specifically our job was, was, was radar and sonar when it came to, um, when it came to um, submarines. So, so we protected the ship against what Jordan was on. So Jordan was on a submarine. God bless his soul. I went on one once, got off it as fast as I possibly could. But our job was to look for him. And our job was to protect the ship. Ultimately, listen, you know, this is just wonderful. I learned this after I got on the ship. Ultimately, 
as a last resort if a tornado or a, a, a torpedo was launched from a submarine and we couldn't do countermeasures, it was our job to get in front of the Saratoga and take the hit for the Saratoga. Who came up with that? I don't know. But we were less important than, than she was. I've seen a lot of things work. I've seen a lot of things not work. I've seen a lot of strategies. I've never heard of a strategy. If you want to get over this wall, just march around it. After you march around it so many times, just shout, blow a few trumpets, and it'll, it'll, it'll all come tumbling down. I've looked at some of my officers and thought they didn't have a brain in their head. But if any of them came up with that, I don't know. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you the truth. I don't know that I'd have been in the army marching around. I mean, you really want to look like a chicken walking around this dude? And they're all up there on the wall going, look at these jokers. Until the wall came down. Because nothing is impossible with God. Understand, God's ways are different than our ways. God's timing is different than our timing. And God's results are, are different than our, than our results. God says, if you follow this formula, Noah, got a project. Need to build a boat. Here's the specifications. I mean, it was so many cubits, and you had to use a certain kind of wood, and you had to build it so big, and you had to put so many rooms, you had to do a, to all these specifications. If you've never seen the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, it, it's really, it, it's that, that, that boat, that replica is built to the specifications that are found in the Bible. And if you've ever been, they take you to the spot or this parking lot and you get in a, you get in a, a trolley and it, it takes you to the place. So when you're in the parking lot, you could see the ark. You could see the ark from another state. I mean, this thing is huge. And you look at it and you go, my goodness, that thing's huge. Then you get on the little bus and the bus takes you to where the museum is and you get off the bus and you go, I mean, and you can see the keel of the boat, and you're thinking to yourself, holy smokes, Noah built that boat. Not with cranes and power tools and, no, I can't even fathom how hard it was to build that boat. But he built it to his specifications. Why? Because God knew he was about to send a flood. And because Noah believed God, I'm not saying Noah didn't have problems. Noah had his problems. But Noah was a man of righteousness. He built that, built that boat. The flood came. Noah and seven of his family, eight people, were saved as a result of obeying God. Now listen, I often wonder. I really do. I often wonder. What if Noah said, Mm. that's a lot of work. I feel like this generation would say, mm, that's a lot of work. Um, I think that I'm not going to do it. Would God have sent the flood? 100%. I believe. 
It definitely would have set the flood. And then guess what? Everybody would be in trouble. Right? You talking about descendants? You talking about who your descendants are? Listen, we all go back to Adam and Eve, right? We all go back to Noah. Hello, everybody was wiped off the face of the earth except for Noah and his family. So we all go, we all related. I'm sorry to tell you that. In our family, we have a group text. I hate group text. I absolutely, I don't like text, period, but I hate group text. You know what our group text is for our family? The mentally unstable. I didn't pick it, but boy, does it fit. I mean, and we guess what? We're all misfits, and we all come from the same place. No, we all come from the same place. And so understand this. God's time is perfect, so trust him. The results uh, uh, that God has for your life uh, are far better. Listen to this. Two things. Number one, God's rewards far outweigh the rewards of man. God's rewards far outweigh the rewards of man. You get your reward here. You got your reward. Guess what you're missing? You're missing the rewards from God. So often things are done. So often things are said so that we can be noticed. Be careful. You want a reward from God, not from man. He saves. He seals. He sanctifies. He secures. He rewards his people. How does he reward them? Number one, he rewards them exceedingly. Ephesians 3.20. does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. He rewards us not only exceedingly, but he rewards us justly. Do you realize that the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 that God is no respecter of persons? Everything he does, he does justly. You ever make this statement? Don't, don't even bother lying. You ever make this statement before? It's just not fair. And in the world we're living in, I mean, everything that happens is not fair. At work, in our families, in the world, in the government, hello, just not fair. Things are not fair. And guess what? The, the, the working class gets the worst of it. I mean, taxes. Let me tell you what about taxes. They ain't fair. They ain't fair. Well, you know, the rich, they have to pay their fair tax. Let me tell you something about the rich. The rich are way smarter than the government. And they know where. Well, listen, we went over. We went overseas. And, and, and one of the places that we went overseas to uh, uh, one year, they said, let me tell you what, what they do here. Uh, I said, you know, I always, I'm always wondering what their export is, what they're known for. At this. Let me tell you what we're known for, hiding money. Like I said, it's where all the rich people hide their money. I mean, they, they, listen, it's not fair. I get it. Somebody got promoted over you. It's not fair. Somebody did this and you didn't deserve it. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair because life isn't fair. But God is always fair. Do you realize that God is watching? God sees. God knows. God's taking notes. Not that he needs to. 
because he can remember things. You and I, have, we have to take notes. But God, God knows. He knows all things. And one, one of these days, you're going to stand before him, and it's all going to come, up, come out right in the, in the end. You ever thought to yourself, why in the world is so-and-so prospering? Why? Listen, it blows my mind. Why in the world are people struggling financially and a quarterback makes millions and millions of dollars a year? By the way, before you start pitching a fit, well, go out and be a quarterback. Thank God for capitalism. I know people are like, oh, well, you know what? Go out and change it, right? You can go out and change it to, if you want to. But I want you to know something. You, it's not fair. You know what I watched a little blog on? NFL players. Let me tell you something. Years ago, about back when they started taking a, taking a knee and not coming out for the flag, and I just, NFL, gone. I'll stick with college. They got brains. They lose all their brains when they become millionaires. I think that's probably what happens. But anyways, I, 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 remember, I, I remember these NFL, I watched this blog about these NFL players and how many of them went broke and how fast they went broke. I mean, investing in this and spending their money on that and having a home in 15 different places and trying to keep up with the... Here's our problem. We only see the good when we're looking at somebody else. I tell you, you know what we often do? We often only do two things when we're looking at another church. We often either look at the bad or we look at the good. We don't look at the in-between. Oh, man, it's, awful, it's awfully much better over here. Do you want to know why the average stay? Do you know what the average stay of a pastor is? Anybody know the answer to that? 18 months. 18 months. Year and a half. The average stay of a pastor. You know why I know that is? Now, that's across all denominations. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But you know why that is? Because the first sign of problems, we jump ship. By the way, it's not only the pastor that does that. First sign of something that doesn't go the way we think it should go. Well, look, that church is going way better. I'm going to go over to that church because that church don't have any problems. <laughs> uh, they must not be running anybody. They must not have a pastor. Because let me tell you something, every church is perfect until people get involved. Isn't that the facts? It's absolutely the truth. And I don't care if you're in the South, you're North, West. I don't care if you're overseas. It doesn't matter where you are. People are people. And we've got to stop looking and saying, well, look, this is better and that's not fair that we don't have this. And, and, and we get ourselves in a pickle. God does everything justly. He rewards exceedingly. He rewards justly. He rewards completely. God's rewards are complete. Do you remember what he said? Matthew 25, 21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Now, we get, we get glimpses, just glimpses of what heaven's going to be like. I mean, just little pictures of what heaven's going to be like. But I'm here to tell you, we're so fixated. It, it kind of makes me chuckle. We're so fixated on whether we're going to get a mansion or not. You don't even know what that mansion looks like. You know what you're going off of? The mansions that are down here. 
You ever go through a town and you look over to the right and there's this great big pond and there's great big, and you say the governor, the governor must live there. Or the mayor must live there. I mean, big old columns and it's just a beautiful, what you perceive to be beautiful. Do you realize that a room in God's house far exceeds a mansion in this house? In this world? Our pictures are only glimpses of what reality really is. Because when God rewards, He rewards completely. I can't imagine. Just can't imagine. I've often seen so many beautiful things in my life. I've often seen, gone out and seen a sunset or a sunrise. I've saw rainbows and double rainbows. I saw rainbows up in the sky over in Ecuador. It's interesting. You want to know where a rainbow ends? It ends in Ecuador. I swear, I've seen rainbows in Ecuador where, where the end is touching the ground. No pot of gold, no leprechauns. Just the end of the rainbow. I'm thinking to myself, whoa, how awesome is that? You see these pitch, uh, uh, picturesque views. You see, anybody ever seen the Northern Lights? Oh, my goodness. They call it the Royal Borealis. It's like God taking a, uh, like somebody taking paintbrushes and just painting the sky. Can't even be explained. Try to take a picture of it, right? And it's like, that didn't work. You ever try to take a picture of sunset and show somebody the sunset? They said, oh, but when you saw the sunset, you were like, oh. Now, if we see that now, imagine what we're going to see in heaven. Imagine what heaven's going to be like. The pictures. This, just another example. The picture that we have in our head of what an angel looks like. It's kind of silly, by the way, what we think angels look like. No, they're these... Beautiful, baby soft skin, got wings, there's a halo, and they're just, they don't fly real high, they're just above the ground, just a little bit flow in, and, or they're short and fat, you know, and they're up on our mantle, you know, and, and so we have this picture of what an angel is, or what an angel looks like, but I, I tell you, they're far more beautiful than you think they are, and some of them have eight wings, and some of them have heads like eagles, and they have, you know, I mean, different parts are different animals. Can you imagine? Why? We can't imagine. That's why that song says, I can only imagine. I mean, as I picture all these things that are happening in heaven, but let me tell you something that you can rest in. When God rewards, He rewards completely. And whatever that reward looks like is far better than any reward that we can get in this life. Miss Linda was telling me this this morning in the story. The Gideons, that, that when they're not here, they're up uh, at their campsite and they go to church up there uh, at their camp. This is uh, uh, the Reese's. And she was telling me this. The Gideons came to, their, um, came to the church that they were going to and they were given a, uh, given a testimony. So if you're not familiar with the Gideons, the Gideons would often put Bibles in motels and different places like that, and you open up a drawer and you generally find a Gideon Bible, that hardback Bible that's got that, uh, that's got that symbol on the front, and you open it up and it says, 
not for sale and you find it in all thrift stores and Goodwills and everything else. And, um, I, Wendy hates it. But I'll often take it and I'll bring it up and say, and I'll say um, these are not supposed to be for sale. Well, you can have it if you want to. I don't want it. I'm just telling you, you shouldn't be profiting from it. But anyways, she said, they went in there and they tore down this, tore down this, um, this uh, hotel. And they were going to build another hotel. And so uh, they called back the Gideons to come get the Bibles. And uh, the Gideons came back, and this guy said that they were trying to raise $2,600 because they were, wanting, they were needing new something or other for the Gideons. And, and they came back, and they got all these Bibles, and they were all put into boxes. And they were going through these Bibles. As they were taking these Bibles out, these Bibles had been sitting in this, this, this hotel for, for quite a long time. The hotel was run down, and it was being, being ripped down. They got to one of the Bibles. They picked up the Bible. They opened it up, and a $100 bill dropped out of it. They turned the page, another $100 bill dropped out of it. They kept turning the pages, 26 $100 bills fell out of this one Bible that was sitting in, for Lord only knows how long, sitting in this drawer in this motel that nobody opened, nobody ever looked at. Can you imagine opening that Bible? I'd have read the whole thing, you know, and just kept reading. But I, and here's the thing that I think of. God had somebody to put that in there because he knew nobody was going to touch it and the Gideons were going to need it at this certain point in time. I mean, isn't that how God does things? God, when God does things, he does them right. He does them completely. He doesn't do them like you think he should or like I think he should. God has his own plan. God rewards far outweigh the rewards of man. God's blessing is always better. I want you to get this. God's blessing is always better than our understanding. We think we have to have everything figured out. We think we have to know everything. We think everything has to, uh, one plus one always has to equal two. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean you can't believe it. Hebrews 11 is, the, is, the, is all about faith. And the Bible says the definition of faith is the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We don't have to see it to believe it. Think about this. You've heard me say this before, and you've heard this statement before. When you can't see his hand, you can always trust his heart. When you can't see God working, you can't see God doing something, maybe you're in the wait stage. Maybe you're so burdened with the, the things of this world, that you're missing what God is doing, if you can't see him doing it, know that he's doing it. If you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Think about these verses, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed thee in thy belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. A very well-known passage, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you 
an expected end. You heard Romans 8, 28 before. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Remember three, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. God's rewards, God's blessings, should always conclude with the praise of His people. God's rewards and God's blessings always should conclude with the praise of His people. Look what God has done. I, I, I absolutely love this verse, Psalm 118 and verse 23. The psalmist proclaims this, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our sight. This is the Lord's doing. Oh, we're, we miss it. We miss it. We, we don't take time for the sunset. We don't take time for the sunrise. We don't take time for spiritual things. We don't take time for reading God's Word. We don't take time for prayer. We don't take time for church. We don't, all those things are just going to the wayside. But this is the Lord's doing, folks. And it is marvelous in our sight. Look what God has done. Heavenly Father, we love you. We do thank you for this time together, Lord. Thank you that you are a great God. Thank you that you don't do things the way we do them. We thank you that your ways are higher than our ways, that your timing is better than our timing. Your blessings, your conclusions are far, far exceed our own blessings and our own rewards. Help us to wait patiently upon the Lord. I pray, Lord, this week that you'd open up our eyes. This week, help us to see where we fail you, Help us to see where we can do better. Help us to see your blessings. How your blessings are exceeding, how they're just, how they're complete. You're great. And you're greatly to be praised. I do pray that you would just give us a great week this week. Help us to rest in you. Help us to trust you, to depend upon you in every area of our life. And may you be highly exalted with the words that come out of our mouth and the actions that proceed out of our life. Dismiss us for your blessing and give us a great week. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. A couple things, Wednesday night, uh, 7 o'clock over the fellowship hall. Uh, and then next Sunday, next Sunday, combined adult Sunday school we're going to have the Warrens are going to be with us. We're going to have dinner grounds, afternoon service, singing, music, preaching. Going to have a great time. Hope you'll be there. God bless you.